This is Legacy Battle coming at you on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You can sponsor this show. Contact us in the comments section. Michael Adams here, creator of Legacy Battle. With me tonight, Gridiron Battle Zone's own Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star Kevin Adams, Ball State athlete Paul Havocott. And we're joined tonight by a man who is a member of the Grand Valley State Hall of Fame. He played 10 years in the NFL with the Lions, Seahawks, and Rams. And he's a member of the 1983 NFL All-Rookie Team. So wide receiver, Jeff Chadwick. Thank you for coming on and joining us tonight, Jeff. We appreciate you being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Appreciate it. Awesome. So tonight's debate is the greatest wide receiver of all time behind Jerry Rice. Because, I mean, there's really not much debate in that. So, um Jerry is that good. And then as, after the debate, we'll have some questions for Jeff about his career. So we're going to start tonight with the man who kind of replaced Jerry Rice out in San Francisco, <laughs> Terrell Owens. Yeah, I love me some me. Famous quote by Terrell Owens. And so if you're a football manager and you're putting together a team and you can navigate pulling Sharpies out of your sock, the side of football in the end zone, making potential accusations against or about Jeff Garcia's sexuality, push-ups in the driveway while being filmed, crying over your quarterback, Tony Romo. If you can work around that stuff, then you'll get a Hall of Fame receiver. Born in Alexander City, Alabama, he's a 2018 Hall of Fame inductee. He got in. It might be some people that didn't want him to get in, but he got in. He played football and basketball for Chattanooga for the University of Tennessee. And you're looking at a 16-year career, 16 year career here with basically a professional wrestler demeanor. But like Mike said at the top of the uh, show, apropos to our topic here, Owens actually took over. It's hard to believe when I was looking through his stats. He took over for Jerry Rice and his quarterback for the first you know, four or five years of his career was Steve Young, which is crazy to think about. Terrell doesn't seem like he was out of the league that long. But uh, he starts with the 49ers after their top receiver, Jerry Rice, uh, tears his ACL early in the 97 season. So he takes over for him, and he beats out J.J. Stokes for the job. And uh, go on that season, they win 13 games with Steve Young as his quarterback, and he finished – with 936 receiving yards and eight touchdowns, and he went on to get another touchdown in their playoff uh, win that year over the Vikings. So his, this is the antithesis of the other receiver I'm doing tonight, but he is a personality, and he played basically uh, 1996 to 2003 season with San Francisco. Then he relocated to Philly with Donovan McNabb, and then um, goes on to Dallas. Uh, and then after Dallas, he kind of wanders around. He, maybe people forgot about his short stint in Buffalo and Cincinnati, but he plays two more seasons. When you're looking at Terrell Owens, it's hard not to say he's a top five receiver because he's in the top five for everything. Uh, he's got 219 total games. Uh, third uh, all-time receptions at 1078, total yards 15,934, 153 total touchdowns. He's a 12 – he never won the Super Bowl, but he was in 12 playoff games. Um, he's five-time first-team All-Pro in 2000 through 2002, 2004, 2007. 
six-time Pro Bowler, 2004-07, and then a three-time NFL touchdown leader uh, in 01, 02, and 06. So to me, Terrell Owens' personality aside maybe, or maybe some people like that, times they are changing, he is, in my opinion, a top-five receiver. He said he didn't win a Super Bowl. Actually, I'm looking through our list. Uh, I don't think anybody won a Super Bowl that we're talking about tonight. That, yeah. That's that's surprising. So It can't hurt me, then, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Jeff, T.O. dropped a lot of balls in his career, and he is kind of known for throwing his quarterbacks under the bus. Um, does that maybe take away from his greatness, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. Um I wouldn't necessarily say, uh, you know, because of the drop balls. I I think, uh, you know, because he certainly made up for it in other aspects. Uh, you know, he was a playmaker, obviously. Guy averaged 1,000 yards a year uh, throughout his career. So, um, you know, you get the ball thrown to you a lot. And you're a big part of the offense. You're, you're going to have a few drops here and there. But um, I, I think it's more of his – taken away from the team and and making it more about him. Like like you had said uh, early on, taking the mentality of a wrestler, uh, that's, you know, taking the entertainment level of football to the highest degree um, when you're, you know, focusing on yourself more than you should be focusing on maybe the team and your teammates and what you can bring to, to build them up. Um, so I, I greatly depreciate the value, especially talking about the second greatest receiver of all time. So in my opinion, I'd take him out just because of that. Um, doesn't diminish the fact that he was a, a big, big time player, you know, um, he just, I don't think he qualifies for a guy that, uh, that you'd even consider. Okay. Let's uh, move on to the the oldest wide receiver we're going to be talking about tonight, Steve Largent. All right, Steve Largent. So Steve Largent was drafted by Bum Phillips and the Oilers in 1976, but in the in the preseason he was dealt to the uh, to the Seahawks uh, for whatever reason. Phillips didn't envision that that Largent had what it you know what it took to succeed there in Houston, so he goes to the Seahawks, who were an expansion team. And Steve spent the next 14 seasons with them. Uh, throughout much of Largent's career, he played for ground Chuck Knox. And we know about Chuck Knox is that he was, you know, uh, he had this really run-heavy playbook. And despite, you know, the fact that he didn't really have, you know, Steve didn't really have much of a you know, wide receiver to compliment throughout much of his career, and, you know, he also had to adjust during his career from having a lefty quarterback, Jim Zorn, to a righty quarterback in, in Dave Craig. He was still able to put up some really amazing numbers. So he led the NFL in receiving yards twice, and he went over 1,000 yards eight times. And when he retired in 1989, he retired with all of the major NFL receiving records. I'm talking about receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and he even had the longest consecutive games with a reception streak, which was a mark of 177 games. So just amazing consistency there. So in Largent, he had an impact on the Seahawks franchise, really like no one else. Uh, 
you know, when he was playing, he was an amazing route runner. He had sure hands. He was disciplined. He was dedicated. He was a man of integrity. And so when he retired, the Seahawks actually, um, you know, they established the Steve Largent Award, which is annually given to the Seahawks player who displays that kind of discipline and that kind of integrity. Uh, Largent, after his career, he, he actually entered politics as well. And um, he was very, very popular in the, in, the district, in the district that he represented in Oklahoma. Um, he was elected to the House of Representatives four times, and each margin of victory was over 20%. Uh, he ran for Oklahoma governor in 2002, and he just barely lost by about 7,000 votes. So when you sum it all up, Largent was just a model of consistency, um, leadership. He rose above the odds, and he was just one hell of a wide receiver. Best wide receiver in the 80s, in my opinion. Jeff, you uh, played with Steve his last season, I believe, you were in Seattle. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yeah. He uh, he retired in uh, after the 89 season. That's right. Uh, he broke – what happened was um, I was in Detroit when they brought, brought in that run and shoot, uh, Mouse Davis and, and – uh, uh, that's the year they drafted Barry Sanders in Detroit. They brought brought in a run and shoot offense. And uh, after the first game of the year, I got uh, I got cut by the Lions. And the Seahawks called me because Steve Largent broke his elbow. Um, and I I informed them that I I had a broken thumb at the time, and they wanted to bring me in right away to, to you know help out with the depth of their uh, receiver position, and. Uh, I told him, I said, I, I really can't do anything for you. I got a broken thumb. That's why the Lions released me. And uh, they said, well, when are you going to be healthy? Uh, I said, probably, well, I said, you know, it happened a week ago, so it might be take another 10 days to two weeks, but I'm not really sure. I can't really catch the ball yet. So they said, well, just keep working out, and when you feel better, give us a call. So it was about a week later, uh, I called up the Seahawks. They flew me out there for a, a workout, and I stayed there for the next three years. And, you know, certainly was able to witness Steve Largent on the field and off the field. And when he was uh, going through that injury, it amazed me because here's a guy out there with a, a broken elbow, of all things. I mean, who breaks their elbow, you know? Uh, I found that to be kind of a strange injury. But nonetheless, he's out there, uh, out on the field in his uniform, running routes, and the quarterback's throwing him the football. And he's just catching the ball with one hand or trying to catch the ball with one hand. Okay. But he's, he's staying in condition, right? He's, he's route running. He's, he's working on his craft uh, like no other that I've ever seen. Okay. Uh, to me, that was amazing to see a guy in his uniform still puts his pads on, gets out there and he's doing his own workouts. I know a coach didn't come up to him and say, he's Steve, I want you to do this. This is just something he does. Uh, what a great example uh, for all the, you know, 53 or 52 other guys on the team to see that. Uh, he was that guy that stood out in your locker room as a role model for all the other players. Uh, just his work ethic, uh, the way he approached the game, the way he handled himself on and off the field, he was amazing. So, uh, you know, being able to play with him, you know, he scored 100 TDs in his career. And his uh, 99th and 100th TD 
uh, happened in Denver, Mile High Stadium. And uh, it was towards the end of the season that year. And he came up to me uh, prior to the game and said that uh, he left his, uh, his cleats back home. And he asked me if he could borrow a pair of mine. And uh, I had two sets. I had my practice pair and my game pair. And I offered him my game pair. And he said, no, no, I'll take your practice ones. I go, Steve, I go, you're starting. You're the man, you know. I said, no, you wear my, my good cleats, you know. So uh, uh, in that game, he scored two TDs uh, with, my, with my shoes. And after the game, I asked him if he'd sign them for me. So he put, he put on my shoes uh, 99th and 100 TD and two blisters. Signed <laughs> it, Steve Largen. So I've got those shoes. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, I I would throw him in into the top tier of best receivers to ever play the game, just because of what he added. And you know, you got to keep in mind too, like you had mentioned, um, you know, back then you were, it was Chuck Knox. You know, and it was all about the ground game, establish the run. And I think most teams were like that. I think about the only team that really had a well-established passing game was probably San Diego. Um, most teams really, you know, worked. It, it was all about the running back, right? Your fullback and your running back. And uh, tight ends were used quite a bit too. And it wasn't that your receivers were uh, an afterthought. They had their, their moments, you know. But, but it was uh, – it was well game planned based on what they did back then. So, uh, yeah, his stats were great. He had uh, a, a really nice uh, um, percentage as far as uh, – so, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd put him in your – for sure in your top uh, four to five guys for sure. Okay. Let's move on to a couple Vikings. We're going to start out with Randy Moss. Randy Moss, born in 77, played 14 seasons, drafted first round, 21st overall by the Vikings. He's definitely known as one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Uh, he holds the NFL single-season touchdown reception record, um, 23 uh, receptions in 2007. Uh, the NFL single-season touchdown reception record for a rookie. He got 17 his rookie season in 98. And he's second uh, in the NFL all-time regular season touchdown reception list. He had 156 uh, receiving touchdowns on regular season. He had some of the best hands in the history of the league. He owned people, and a, a, a new phrase was coined uh, being mossed. Because um, if, if a pass was contested uh, with him, he, he brought it down. It didn't matter who was guarding him. He, he caught the ball. Um, you know, Great hands. Um, he played seven years for Minnesota. Uh, then he was traded uh, 2005 to Oakland. And then 2007, he went to New England. Uh, he made a Super Bowl appearance with New England. Um, he set a single-season record for the touchdown receptions when he went to New England. Uh, he later returned to the Vikings. Then he went to Tennessee for a short period. Um, and then he played one year with the 49ers and also made it to the Super Bowl with them. Um, but unfortunately, both Super Bowl appearances were losses. Um, so it's kind of surprising he didn't win one. Um, but he's inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2018. Uh, dude has crazy accolades, NFL Rookie of the Year in 98, comeback player in 2007, four-time uh, first-team All-Pro, six Pro Bowls, five-time receiving touchdown leader. Uh, he was on the 100th anniversary of all-time team 
2000s All-Decade Team, Minnesota Ring of Honor, Patriots 2000 Team, uh, All-Team. Um, he won the Fred Blitnikoff Award. Uh, he finished with 982 receptions, which was 15th all-time, over 15,000 yards, fourth all-time. He averaged over 15 yards per reception. He had 156 touchdowns, like I had mentioned earlier, second all-time. Youngest player in the NFL history to record his 100th receiving touchdown and his 120th touchdown. Most yards and TDs by a player before the age of 30. He had 10 1,000-yard seasons, 64 100-yard games, which was second all-time. Um, an NFL analyst, Elliot Harrison, actually ranked Moss number three, greatest all-time receiver um, on NFL.com. No other wide receiver that we're talking about tonight was ranked higher on that list. And who could forget his uh, what got coined the Lambeau Moon? You know, fourth quarter against the Packers, scores a touchdown, uh, goes over the goalposts, and he uh, pretends to moon the Packers fans, which led to a fine bite. I mean, come on, that's hilarious. <laughs> It's the most overblown one of the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, hands down. So, Jeff, Jerry Rice was like the full package. He could do everything great, but is Randy Moss maybe the greatest deep threat of all time, in your opinion? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of hard to think of anybody else that uh, – could do what he could do. I mean, uh, just looking at his size. I mean, if the I mean the guy was you know four three guy at what six almost six five, and he could run a four three. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, that's that's a phenom. You know, there's no other way to explain it. How's a guy six foot five, long and lanky like him, run a four three? Uh, how scary would that be? Being a defensive back, even I don't care if you put two guys on him. Okay, uh, he's going to work around you. He's like, a, you know, a forward in basketball, just like LeBron James, but a little bit smaller, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, definitely, definitely somebody to highly consider for that second spot. Well, let's move on to his cohort, which was his – they were a tandem for quite a while. That's Chris Carter. You know, obviously, uh, Carter played for the Vikings. He also played for the Eagles and, and – very, very briefly for the Miami Dolphins. But uh, Carter, you know, he's picked in the fourth round of the supplemental draft out of Ohio State, um, which that's kind of a steal, fourth round. <laughs> played, um, ended up being three years for the Eagles before he went on and played 12 years with the Vikings. But, you know, just stats-wise, he's an eight-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pros, or I'm sorry, yeah, two first-team All-Pros and one second-team All-Pro. He was on the all-decade team of the 90s, got the Bart Starr Award, three-time touchdown leader of the NFL, and he led the league in receptions one year as well. Um, he's part of the Ohio State All-Century team, which that's pretty impressive. Um, the thing to remember about Carter is I look at not where maybe he's ranked today, but where he was ranked when he retired. Uh, when he retired, he was second in receptions and touchdowns. Now, I know he's been passed up since then, but um, that's really impressive. You know, he was be basically just behind Rice. Uh, he's a two 2013 Hall of Famer. It took him a while to get in for some reason. It, it takes some players a little while to get in. I, I, I never understand that, how a guy could be second and everything and not get it on his first try, but he's one of only three players to record 120 receptions twice. 
Um, he has the most one-yard touchdown receptions in history. So that that's pretty good, right above Tony Gonzalez. Uh, you know, and since retirement, he's been an analyst for several shows. Um, you know, sometimes he makes some comments that get him in a little bit of trouble. And, and then he's looking for another job somewhere else. But uh, he, he definitely speaks his mind, so I'll give him that. But between him and Moss, and they had a third receiver, Jake Reed, just a deadly trio that they had there in Minnesota for quite a while. And I'm not sure Moss is as good as he would have been in Minnesota without Chris Carter there taking some of those coverages away. So, Jeff, um, Carter maybe has the best hands we're talking about tonight. Um, but, you know, what are your thoughts with him and Moss? Were they maybe so great because they were playing together? Like, did that help them? Well, yeah, I think absolutely. Um, you know, early on in Chris Carter's career, when he was with Philly, um, you know, he is, I think his first year or something, he had a lot of touchdowns, but um, I'm not sure if he was being used quite the way maybe he felt he should be used or, or what the case was there, but it didn't look like he was at all that happy there um, in Philly. And then once he got to Minnesota, he he kind of discovered himself after, you know, uh, shoot, like five or six years in the league, I think it was before. I mean, now listen, I, I, I'm just saying as far as numbers being like really high-profile numbers, he was still producing. He was still somebody defenses had to consider. It's just for that kind of talent. Uh, he, he wasn't producing like, uh, like a lot of guys uh, would have been doing at that point in their career. Uh, but then afterwards, you know, he went on a streak from like his sixth year for the next 10 years where, you know, 1,200 yards, 1,100 yards, 1,300 yards, whatever. He was well over 1,000 yards uh, in all those years um, and, and really became uh, developed into the player that I think everybody thought he might have been able to become. He did it well into, you know, like his sixth, seventh year. Um and yeah, he was like sure-handed. I mean, he caught everything. Uh, he, he was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and and see, uh, Randy Moss came in after, and I think he rubbed off on Randy Moss, Moss in a in, in a great way. Um, I think he kind of took him under his wing and and taught him, hey, this is this is how you are to be a professional. This is what you need to do. This is kind of the work ethic. I don't think Randy Moss would have been the receiver he ultimately became without Chris Carter. Let, let me just touch on something real quick. Um, yeah. I know a little bit more about what happened in Philly. Was um, Carter, he had, a, he had a, lot of substance, a substance abuse problem in Philly, and he actually got cut by Buddy Ryan. And then, then he moved on. It was I don't remember if it was Denny Green there at Minnesota at that point. I think it might have been, but that's who brought you – know, somebody brought him in from Minnesota, you know, to Minnesota – and then he was able to sort of get his career turned around. And later on, he got reunited with Randall Cunningham. And then that was 1998 was that huge season, you know, when they broke all those uh, offensive records. So, yeah, so Carter, he, he had to overcome something uh, during his career for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, uh, having gone through that, um, you know, he, he took this young player, Randy Moss, um, being that he was, you know, the veteran, receiver uh, and he told him hey this is what happened to me you know mm -hmm. don't let this happen to you 
You've got all the talent in the world. Let me just show you how to go about your business. You know, right. you know, throughout the season, how you prepare during the off season. Um, you know how how to get your head on right. And I think without that mentorship, um, I, I think that uh, you know, I'm not saying that he would have. I'm just saying uh, what what a great what a great person to have had to go through the things that Chris Carter did go through and to be able to take somebody with the likes of Randy Moss and, and help him to develop quickly, uh, to be the, the consummate professional. Okay. Yeah. Did he have some antics and things that he did that, you know, some people disagree with, but, um, by no means was he, uh, uh, Terrell. Okay. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, so I just think he had a big influence, Chris Carter did, on, on Randy. I want to point out something, too, since you're – because we're all trying to argue our people in real quick. Yeah. He only played three seasons with Randy Moss. So to kind of say that Chris Carter took the coverage away from Randy Moss, I'm not buying that one because it was only th three years that he played with Randy Moss. So, yeah, he may have played a role at the beginning there, um, but most of his – most of Moss's career was not with Chris Carter. All right, let's move on to Calvin Johnson. Megatron. All right, so obviously the opposite of who I just talked about earlier. With Calvin Johnson, I know the conversation is always going to be clouded with what could have been versus what is, but still, Calvin's out of Tyrone, Georgia. He played nine, all nine seasons that he was in the NFL with Detroit. Um Man, he's so different than Terrell. And he's – Calvin's like having a Cadillac Escalade in your garage. He's very polished. He's sleek. But he can get dirty when he has to. But uh, this Georgia Tech three-year uh, student, he had a great college career in his final season at Georgia Tech, 1202, 1,202 yards, 15 touchdowns. He was named uh, 2006 ACC Player of the Year. In the NFL, basically, he only made the playoffs in 2011, 2014. He had two touchdowns in the postseason. But some things I, I really liked about Kelvin, he spent all of his career with one team. I know that his heart was in that one team. He was very frustrated at the end when he left. Uh, he was bought in. But, um, you know, being in Detroit – and, and playing with some of the, the people around them, that kind of might explain why they were only in the playoffs twice. But uh, this is the NFL, and you got to try hard all the time. So basically this 2021 Hall of Fame inductee, um, he has great numbers for what he did, how much time he spent in the NFL. He had 731 receptions, 11,619 yards. He averaged about 15.9 yards after catch had 83 touchdowns. Maybe compared to some of these other receivers we're talking about, Calvin to me, Megatron to me, seems like he kind of was that original guy you throw the ball to, and then he just turns and just gets you a whole bunch more yards just with his sheer power. So some, some of the things in his career, his highlights kind of stick out to me. He had just this, I mean, the potential here is unreal. In 2011, he earned his first of three uh, all-pro selections, racked up 1,684 yards, 16 touchdown receptions, and he followed that season up by shattering Jerry Rice's single-season receiving yards record. 
He got 1,964 yards on the year and then hauled in 122 uh, receptions. He appeared in six consecutive Pro Bowls, was named first-team All-Pro for three consecutive seasons. During the 2012 season, he set the single-season record for receiving yards at 1,964, as I mentioned. And he also holds the NFL record, uh, holds NFL records for 100-yard games in season. Uh, in a season. He had 11 tied with Michael Irvin. Uh, he had consecutive 100-yard games at eight tied with Adam Thielen. And basically – his whole resume is just these awards he did in his short term, you know, short time in the NFL. Two seasons with 1,600 yards, uh, tying uh, Marvin Harrison, Torrey Holt, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones. Eight most consecutive games with at least 100 receiving yards. Most consecutive games, at least 10 receptions with four. Most receiving yards in a five-game span at 861. Uh, most receiving yards in a six-game span at 962. And congratulations to those who started him in the 2013 fantasy team because he racked up 329 yards one time in one game on October 27, uh, 2013, against the Dallas Cowboys. And he had five games of at least 200 receiving yards, which tied with Lance Allworth. So, you know, he humbly retired quietly after the 7-9 the 2015 season, kind of eerily reminiscent of Barry Sanders, these guys may have continued to play if the team would have been in contention, but it just seemed like it never did. And he retired basically because of what he said. We can get Jeff's opinion on this. It just hurt too much season in and season out. And it kind of makes sense because the only thing I could really find, he's so quiet. Uh, he got married after he retired, but the only thing I could find him doing now is he's working uh, with his partner to, to start up cannabis, uh, legal cannabis farm. So Maybe that was helping with the pain, but that's Megatron in a nutshell. So the knock on Lynn Swan was always that he didn't play long enough, didn't have the longevity. Does that maybe keep Calvin down from being the greatest of all time, in, in your opinion, Jeff? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, yeah, the stats don't lie. I mean, uh, of all your candidates, you know, he's he's well below – the average, you know, most of those guys, uh, they chose to play um, the game for as long as they could, it seemed like. Um, you can see that their production started to dwindle um, maybe the last two years of their careers, right? Uh, whereas his, where he just flourished the entire nine years that he played and, and then just left the game. And, you know, it, it's sad uh, that, that a franchise can be, can, can, hurt a guy so badly uh such, such a great player so badly you know as it did uh barry sanders um and him and does it hurt his chances yeah i'd say it would but uh i just think it's unfortunate it's unfortunate that that uh he he just didn't end up somewhere else i i look at it like you know stafford moving on from detroit uh lucky him you know Matt Stafford's got a, a, a career left, you know. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Megatron go to a team that uh, that he could have felt uh, wanted to work around him, you know what I'm saying? Build a team around him as well, not just him be the team or a couple of guys be the team and, uh, you know, and then have that suffice, all right? Keep the crowd happy because you got the best receiver 
possibly of all time uh, on the field and you get to watch them. But football is a team sport, you know, and it's a it's it's a, you know, everybody winning together. And that's what's great about it. Uh, but when you just have one standout guy who is just frustrated with losing all the time, doesn't matter what kind of numbers he puts up, uh, you know, year in and year out, you're you're always you know, getting pounded by the fans and the media. Uh, just how not good you are. Uh, I'm sure he took it personally year in and year out, like it was his fault, which it, obviously it wasn't. He was producing. Right. Um, or a number of people, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, and I don't know. Um, you know, the guy averaged uh, more yards uh, per year for all the years that he was in there compared to everybody else. Now his average per catch at what 15.9 isn't the greatest uh james lofton played 16 years as the guy i was telling you i brought up earlier james lofton had played 16 years in the nfl okay he averaged 18 and a half yards per catch his entire career now granted he didn't catch uh 70 passes a year but he did catch uh close to 60 passes a year and uh I think he would have been one to uh, to include, at least include on the list and talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as Calvin, it, it, it's certainly sad. And I, I think uh, because of his um, unwillingness to want to play anymore, certainly had the ability to play uh, more years. Uh, he just got burnt out on it. Um, but I would say that almost eliminates him, unfortunately. All right, let's move on to Marvin. That's Harrison. just my opinion, guys. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not saying I'm correct. That's just my opinion. Oh, it's all yeah. good. That's why you're here, man. That's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison. All right. So, um, uh, Zach Kiefer from the Indy Star, uh, he summed up Marvin Harrison in a very interesting way. He said, "Marvin Harrison hid in plain sight," and and what that means is Marvin Harrison was just a guy who quietly went about his business, but he was just unbelievable on the field. Uh, Tony, his head coach, Tony Dungy, once said, you never heard him coming or going. Um, but Harris, Harrison quietly put together one of the most productive careers in NFL history. He led the NFL in receiving yards twice, receptions twice, and he had 143 receptions in 2002, which was the record until Michael Thomas broke it a couple years ago. Uh, so it stood for about 17 years. Um, he went over a thousand yards in eight consecutive seasons. Um, he went over a hundred receptions in four consecutive seasons. He went over 10 touchdowns in eight consecutive seasons. And unlike the other guys we're talking about tonight, he helped the Colts to win a Super Bowl. Um, Harrison is more than the stats though. Uh, he was really, he was quiet excellence. Like I said, uh, he, he never talked trash. He wasn't a diva type like Terrell Owens or Ocho Cinco or Odell Beckham. Uh, he just lined up on the left side, and he just embarrassed the DB that was going to be going against him. Uh, the secret to his success was practice. He practiced without any gloves on his hands so he could toughen his hands up so that whenever the game started, when he put his gloves on, it would feel like it was easier for him. Um, he, later on in his career, when – the, you know, the coaching staff was trying to, you know, sort of sort of tail him off and, and ask him to sort of cut back on these grueling practices. He just looked at him and said, no way. And he continued doing what he was doing. 
uh, legendary DB Charles Woodson. We all know him, Charles Woodson. He called Harrison the toughest wide receiver he ever faced. And he went on to say he was fast, quick, he ran great routes. And when I played against him, I knew it was just going to be one of those days. And he is the only player that I ever thought of like that. So with that high, high recommendation, I really feel like Marvin Harrison belongs in the, in the top five. Marvin, was he's so quiet. You know, he, he never really spoke out about much. Kind of almost felt like he was in the shadow of Peyton Manning, uh, you know, because Peyton's aura was so big. What are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Yeah, I loved Marvin Harrison. I mean, um, that guy was a model of consistency. Uh, I Yeah, you call it quiet. Yeah, I, I think uh, there are a number of guys uh, that are kind of quiet receivers. He was one of them. Um, but, yeah, he just produced all the time, caught everything, ran great routes. Um, yeah, he just kept to, kept to the task. Uh, he's a defensive nightmare. I mean, how do you guard a guy like that? I don't care if you take two people and try to throw them out. He's going to beat them somehow, some way. He'll beat them anyways. So, um, um, yeah, he, he was a lot of fun to watch for all those years and played all those years with the Colts. I mean, even if you weren't a Colts fan, uh, you know, he want, they weren't your favorite team. You would just put that team on just to watch him play. See how many balls he'd catch because every one they threw to him, he caught. Some games he'd catch seven, eight, sometimes nine or 12 or whatever. And he was always catching touchdowns. He's always making plays. He was a playmaker. Yeah, so I'd put him in there for sure because he was a good, you know, like you said, See, back then, guys didn't rely on the gloves, okay? You, uh, you just, uh, you know, practice without gloves. And that forces you to really concentrate and practice. Look in the ball into your hands. Don't take anything for granted. And so, you know, he played at the time where they developed these gloves. Um, he chose not to wear them in practice so that he forced himself to really concentrate on those little things that make a player great. So then when he did put those gloves on, it was easy for him. He wouldn't drop anything. So, yeah, uh, yeah, he definitely fits right in there, guys, for sure. And he had Reggie Wayne on the other side. So let's uh, yeah. move on to Timmy Brown. Tim Brown played for one of my favorite teams growing up. Um, but what's interesting is, is uh, he's a player that uh, didn't even play organized football until his sophomore year of high school. Um, so he started kind of late, and um, by the end of it, he was one of the top prospects uh, in the country going into college. Um, he played college football for the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame, um, and I think he's the only one of the wide receivers we're talking about tonight that uh, won the Heisman Trophy. And he was the first wide receiver to do that as well. Um, he spent 16 years with the Raiders, uh, where he became one of the NFL's uh, greatest wide receivers of all time. Um, he was the sixth overall pick in the 88 draft by the Raiders. Um, Brown has also played uh, one season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, in his first season, he led the league in kickoff returns, return yards, and yards per return. Um, he was actually really good in the special teams, even in college. Um, but I know uh, his second season, though, he only played one game. I, I feel like if his first five years were a little bit better, he'd be a lot higher up in the rankings on the, on the lists for you know yards, touchdowns, and everything. Um, but that second season, he only played one game. Um, he struggled a little bit those first couple years. Um, but, I mean, it, 
and yet he racked up nine consecutive 1,000-yard seasons from 93 to 2001. Um, in 2015, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's a two-time uh, second-team All-Pro, NFL uh, receptions co-leader in 2007, nine-time Pro Bowler, 1990s All-Decade team. He won the Walter Camp Award. Um, he had over 1,000 receptions, almost 1,100. He had almost 15,000 receiving yards, 100 receiving touchdowns. He averaged almost 14 yards per reception. Shares the record for the most consecutive seasons with at least five TDs. Uh, he had 11 seasons where he had at least five TDs. Oldest player to score a touchdown on special teams. Um, oldest player to have 12 receptions in a single game. Uh, NFL record for consecutive starts by a wide receiver at 176 games consecutive. And only player to have 1,600 yards against four different teams. Um, he holds Raiders records for touchdowns, receiving yards, receptions, um, and touchdowns. Um, all-purpose yards and yards from scrimmage. And off-field, uh, he was in the movie Little Giants. Um, and in 95, uh, he was the national chairman of athletes and entertainers uh, for kids uh, and the related 911 for kids. They helped over 5 million children and teens through mentoring and educational programs. So even off-field, he was a good guy. But great, great wide receiver, best for the Raiders nation. Um, and I think he, he deserves uh, an argument in this, in this fight. Heard the stats. I mean, it's almost like he's underappreciated. He's kind of like the guy you never hear of uh, when when these conversations come up. Jeff, do, is, is that the impression you get when you hear Tim Brown, like underappreciated? Mm, yeah, probably. Uh, he was a workhorse. Um, I think, you know, he, the thing that was great about him is that his double duty for the first whatever uh, – half or at least five or six years where he was, uh, you know, starting receiver and also punt returner. Um, you know, a lot of – most teams, you know, the receivers, you know, other than maybe like Golden Tate earlier in his career, which he kind of reminds me of, just a bigger version, um, you know, that kind of production. Um, yeah, I think the thing that hurts him is maybe the yards per catch or, you know, somewhere around 12 or – or so it's a, uh, you know, uh, taking a shorter pass and and picking up you know seven eight yards after the catch. Um, so I'm thinking he's probably not going to get the credit um, for his accomplishments because of that. Um, I don't think he was that big play receiver downfield guy like a you know Moss or Terrell or Megatron or some of those guys. Um, so I think that's what really hurts him, but. Um, yeah, certainly worth mentioning, I, I would think. Let me throw this out real quick about uh, Brown. Um, yeah. Besides, besides Rich Gannon for a couple of years, you look at the quarterbacks that he had. I mean, a, really a bunch of guys that really struggled a lot and, and didn't have a lot of, you know, didn't spend a lot of time, you know, as starters. And, and it was just, it was really a mess there, uh, you know, with Oakland during that time. So Brown, he to, to have that kind of production, with, you know, such a, you know, deficient level of quarterbacking is pretty impressive. Right. Oh, yeah, it, it is impressive. It is impressive, and I will have to say this. Uh, I know what it's like to have to go th through a lot of quarterbacks in my career. Um, I had some good quarterbacks. I wouldn't say I had any that were great, okay, but they I had some good ones. But I literally in 10 years I've had – 10 different quarterbacks, it seems like. 
you know? So I can't really feel sorry for these guys because there's a lot of us that had to deal with, you know, maybe not having the greatest. I mean, certainly we all wish we could play, you know, for certain teams and, uh, you know, certain quarterbacks, but there's only so many out there that are, you know, are that great. No, I can't really feel sorry for him on that one. <laughs> well, and of course, Tim Brown, he finished his career, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So came back, uh, played with John Gruden there at the end. So let's move on to our final wide receiver. I don't know if you can see that. No. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Larry Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah. Larry Legend. Larry Legend. So graduate of my alma mater, University of Pittsburgh. So definitely respect that. His number one jersey is retired there. Um, he won the Bolitnikoff Award, the, the Walter Camp Award. He was an All-American, of course, and the Heisman runner-up. Um, there weren't, when he was playing, a lot of people from Pitt getting Heisman Awards. So the fact that he even made runner-up was pretty impressive. Um, you know, he's in the NFL, he's second all-time in yards by over 1,500 yards and second all-time in receptions by over 100 and he's sixth in touchdowns. And he's not officially retired. There is talk that he may be coming back this year for one last season. We'll see what happens with that. But he holds 43 Arizona Cardinal receiving records and 25 NFL receiving records. He has the hands of Rice and Carter. And, and I think DeAndre Hopkins is getting up there too with the hands. But you know, it just seemed like he never would drop passes. He, he, he was just that good. Um, with his hands but so you know he's drafted in 2004 by the Cardinals third overall his idol was Chris Carter you know Larry grew up on the practice fields of the Vikings where you know him Moss and Carter would be watching this young kid go out there and make plays and you know he calls Chris Carter Uncle Chris and he's his mentor um, he's been in the NFL a really long time started in 04 2020, he's still playing. So nice, long, productive career there. Um, you know, you got to talk about the quarterbacks with Tim Brown. So Fitzgerald had Kurt Warner for five years, Carson Palmer for five years. You know, Warner was obviously great, um, but wasn't starting that entire time in those five years. Palmer was serviceable, you know, played pretty good ball there in Arizona. But, you know, he caught passes from 21 different starting QBs. Guys you've probably never heard of, like John Skelton, Max Hall, Derek Anderson. I mean, these aren't uh, Hall of Famers by any means. Matt Liner, Liner, you know, just to name a few. You probably know him, but it's from his college, not his NFL playing. So you got to ask yourself, what would his numbers be like if he had a, a, a Brady or a Rodgers or a Big Ben for – 15 years, you know, he might have the stats of Jerry Rice. And then, you know, off the field, of course, he's established a couple charities. He's been honored by various, for his various philanthropy awards. He's on the cover of Madden 2010, NCAA Football 05. Um, just a really good man. You know, he kept a promise that I thought was really important to point out to his mother. Um, we're recording this on Mother's Day, but so when his mother died, he had made a promise to her that he would you know, finished college, and he went back uh, in, in 2018 and got his degree. So he, he kept that promise to his mother. She died, uh, I think, right before he was drafted in 04. So a really nice story there. But, uh, 
Larry had the hands, you know, he, I think he's the greatest. I, I'd put him at number two behind Rice. But, Jeff, what are your thoughts on Larry Fitzgerald? Uh, well, obviously, you got you got to love the guy. I mean, he is probably your, your – as far as his hands, uh, there is no other that really has – I mean, yeah, Jerry Rice, he was the full package. Um, but uh, nobody – catches the ball quite like Larry Fitzgerald. Um, so I'd say uh, probably the best hands ever in the NFL. So does that put him, uh, you know, in that second position or, or right there? I'd say, yeah, it probably could, especially being that he's played 17 years and averages a 1,000 yards quietly, you know. I mean, he's pretty quiet. He's a, you know. But yet he still pulls the numbers, which is amazing. Which means he's he's a contributor. Uh, they they use him. Uh, he just goes about his business. Uh, you know, catches his uh, you know five, six, seven passes throughout the you know throughout the games and um, racks up some good numbers. And been able to do it for seventeen years is just amazing to me. Uh, especially being like you said, he didn't really have any top-notch quarterbacks. Um, until what recently with the but the game has changed right uh, uh does it put him right there i gee, i really don't know i mean that's a tough one that's probably the toughest one is larry fitzgerald because of just all the uh stats that he has and and being that he did it all with i love the guys who have just done it with one team you know 16 years 17 years 15 years all with one team that to me is amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, it's, I, that's a real tough one for me. I'd like to point out that uh, of all the raw receivers we're talking about tonight, he does average the lo lowest yards per reception at 12.2. 11 seasons that he has played, he's averaged under 13 yards. Nine seasons of those 11 were under 12 yards. So... Uh, to put him at number two, I think that's kind of a stretch. He's a great player. I'm not going to deny that. But, I mean, last season he had 400 yards. Um, I know he's, he's getting old, though. He's 36 years old. I mean, yeah, but still, his last three seasons, I mean, obviously he's, he's declining. The durability has gone. But nine seasons under 12 yards, that's half of his career per reception. Uh, I, I don't think you can put him at number two. I love Fitzgerald, though. I do. I wish he would have came to Pittsburgh. I agree. So you're going to say that he has bad stats at 36 years old. Of course. No. <laughs> no, the, the, the nine seasons, under 12 yards per reception. That's okay. Fair the, enough. He's the lowest. Fair enough. I, I, that stat's kind of a little bit overrated, in my opinion, because you look at, like, the type of offense that some of these guys play in. They're getting some of these guys. They're only going to, you know, they run slants or they run, they run shorter routes. You know, your averages are going to go down. But I mean, like, look at a guy like Hans Ward. I mean, he would make like all these tough catches on third and six while he's getting hit by three guys. And okay, he only gets six yards for that, you know, on the average. But that's a huge catch. That's one that matters, you know. And so, like, I don't, I don't play too much into that yards per reception thing. I, I'm more worried about the important catches that they made. And, and Fitzgerald was, I mean, he's caught just about everything thrown at him. I, I, I think that's, that's what you look at. Right. Well, 
fewer yards after catch. I mean, he prolonged his career. He's still playing. He saved a lot of wear and tear. And doesn't that help the team too? If you're still healthy because you played smart. And they they moved him to slot receiver when um, what's his face took over. Arians took over as coach. He mm-hmm. wasn't. They moved him to slot receiver. So that's going to cut down his yards per catch as well. But let's let's move into our vote. Um, let's let's start with Paul. Voting one, Mike. Yeah, just one tonight. Gosh, that's tough because it, it it was between Larry Fitzgerald and Randy Moss for me. If if picking a winner, straight cash, homie, Randy Moss. Like uh, Tom Brady, Tom Brady said one time, you just throw the ball up near Randy Moss's hands and he'll bring it down. I think he is the best of this group. Okay, Kevin. Um, <laughs> I always I always draft him on, on my fantasy team. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Marvin Harrison. He was a, a, a big threat with Peyton Manning. Great wide receiver. Brian. I I don't think top five is complete without without Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, nobody had better hands, so I, I got to go with Fitzgerald. Okay. Oh, wow. It's funny. I, I was looking at the list, and uh, I was going between Moss or Owens, and uh, – Man, I know Owen drops a lot of balls, but man, he played with so many different quarterbacks. I feel like if if he had had maybe better attitude and stayed with one particular team for a lot longer, I think he'd uh, he'd be up there even more stats wise. So I'm actually going with To. So one for a lot of guys. Jeff, who would be your pick for the greatest receiver behind? Jerry Rice out of our list today. Oh, we're gonna. Th- I'm sorry. Um, uh, we're, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can't. You can't choose one of the guys we can say. James. I'm gonna James Lofton. No, I'm kidding. He's not on the list. I put him on the list. Um, I think he belonged on the list, but I, I wouldn't say he's right there. Uh, I'm gonna say Randy Moss. Randy. It makes Randy Moss our winner. So congratulations, uh, who got Moss? Kevin, you get the win tonight. There you go. And uh, we just wanted to throw shout outs to some receivers who just missed our list tonight. Uh, James Lofton. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lofton. James Lofton. Art Monk, Raymond Barry, Don Hudson, Lance Allworth, and I'll even throw Isaac Bruce out there for that one. So let's uh, let's move into our Q and A. Brian, go ahead. Okay, Jeff. Um. Throughout your career, you played on Thanksgiving Day uh, six times, if my count is correct. So what was it like playing and, and knowing that you're, you know, the whole country was watching and, and cooking their turkey? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool playing on uh, Thanksgiving. Um, it was a short week. Sometimes that worked out in your benefit. But uh, from what I recall, I thought we always had an edge with the Lions being that we were at home. And we get psyched up because it was always that, you know, national televised game. And so no matter how you were feeling, you're ready to play that day. Uh, and we had, we had some some uh, victories on Thanksgiving days that, uh, you know, we were underdogs. So, you know, playing against Pittsburgh or Dallas or, you know, and uh, 
coming out, squeaking out a, a big win on those days uh, was exciting. So, yeah, uh, I just hope they keep that going. I've, I've heard talk that, you know, trying to eliminate that game or, or something like that. I don't know if it's true or not. But, yeah, playing on Thanksgiving is awesome. I, I actually like seeing a number of teams playing. I think, what do they have, Dallas style playing on Thanksgiving and – and uh, who else plays that? Usually had a third. They usually had a third game, and it's just it's just some rivalry game usually. So. Right. Oh. Right. Yeah. Paul, go ahead. Jeff, let me pick your brain on this because I'm confused. You're a very capable receiver. You know what the job entails. Why is it? You know, we're talking about our list tonight, and we're reading these names off, and they got great stats. But is there a correlation of a team having a great wide receiver but and not making the Super Bowl? I mean, or not winning a Super Bowl? Because I'm looking at the list. You know, Moss was in a couple with New England. I mean, Jerry Rice won some Super Bowls, and he's the greatest of all time. But is there a correlation here if you have a, a high numbers receiver that you sometimes can't put together the big win? Well, I think certainly now, for sure, Maybe back years ago when you had a, a high producer at wide receiver, it really helped el elevated your chances of making it obviously into the playoffs and then further yourself on. Um, you know, I think now being that the passing game uh, and a lot of the, you know, the guys who put the plays together, you know, you used to be where you just had your basic route tree, your in routes, your out routes, your crossing and things like that. Now they have gotten so good, these coaches have gotten so good at looking at film and seeing how teams are playing, you know, their, their situational defense. Um, and so they put in these plays, you know, that are just so different from the plays that we had, which creates opportunities for the receivers to make uh, some big plays down the field. Um, so I, I just think the game is so different now. So that's kind of hard to, you know, to pinpoint where so many teams, you know, because it's it's a passing league now, right? They're just becoming in, in the gloves. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, you know, but the gloves are so good nowadays. You know, all these phenomenal catches. You never saw these things going on back in the day when they were throwing that pigskin around. Occasionally you see that one-handed grab, but these things are – you know, everybody's wearing gloves, right? Everybody. Well, there's a reason they wear gloves. Don't you think that catch with Odell Beckham Jr., the one that's so famous now where he goes up one-handed, I mean, don't you think that was kind of the start of these gloves? I mean, that is almost impossible looking if you're not wearing gloves. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is. They've, uh, just like anything, right, you come out with gloves. Hey, they had gloves when I when I played. Uh, you know, we had gloves, but they, they were Newmans. I don't know what they are now, but you never knew if you could trust those gloves on, on a Sunday or game day. Um, you certainly, at least I didn't. I didn't rely on gloves. Um, I rarely ever practiced with gloves um, for the same reason Marvin Harrison didn't, okay? Because uh, I wasn't a great ball catcher. It was something I had to learn to do when I got to the NFL. I first learned uh, needed to learn how to run routes. I had to learn how to beat one-on-one -on -one coverage, man-to-man, uh, -man, bump and run. Once I was able to do that, um, 
then I found myself open a lot. And, you know, the quarterback, the, the offensive coordinator saying, Chad, what's open? Chad, what's open? Quarterbacks throw him the ball. Well, then I couldn't catch the ball. So I had to learn to catch the ball. You know, so it was a tra- it was a it, it was sort of like this, you know, one step at a time, right? You do this, then you learn how to do that. And then, of course, you know, the finished product is catching the ball. So uh, so I had to learn how to keep, look that ball, concentrate and look that ball right into my hands all the time. Um, and so I became pretty good at it. I wouldn't say I was great at it, but I came good enough to be able to earn a spot. Um, but my point is now, you know, guys rely on these gloves are so good, you know, that, you know, they, they don't look the ball all the way into their hands because they really don't have to. They're still going to catch it somewhere on that glove. You know, I've watched these guys, you know. So when I'm coaching a kid, I, I coach the kid. I, I teach them little drills, you know, for them to focus on looking that ball right into their hands and, and repetitively uh, you know, concentrate on that ball, looking at that ball, follow, don't take anything for granted and catch it, catch it with two hands, you know. But these kids now, they just want to be superstars. They want to grab everything with one hand. So, hey, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I certainly think the gloves have uh, have impacted the game greatly. Kevin. <clears throat> so, yeah, in uh, 89, uh, you're still with uh, Detroit to start the season. Uh, and that just happens to be Barry Sanders' rookie year. Uh, so what was it like in training camp and everything going into that season, uh, knowing that you guys had Barry Sanders on the roster in, in that during that training camp? Yeah, I was uh, really bummed to be let go by the Lions because I had a great uh, – one of my best training camps uh, with Detroit that year. I was in really good shape, and everything was going good for me. And I was, you know, uh, was happy to be in, in camp with Barry Sanders, you know, just from all the things that I had seen and – uh, I was excited about the run-and-shoot offense. But I also knew in the back of my mind that Mouse Davis did not like tall receivers. And uh, But, you know, I, it looked like I overcame that because I was having a good uh, uh, training camp, one of my best training camp running that offense. But unfortunately, the week before our first game, I, I uh, was catching balls out of the jugs machine in the Silverdome with the lights off. And the lights were off. I'm not sure why uh, somebody didn't pay a bill. Or it was the Lions, right? Uh, but anyways, I was doing what I thought was the right thing, and and unfortunately, I uh, I took a uh, I took a ball on the tip of my thumb, and, and broke the tip of my thumb of all places, and kind of kind of hard to catch football with without your thumbs. Um, and next thing I know, you know the the training staff the doctors they know I got a broken thumb didn't seem like the coaches even cared they were going to start me that first game regardless if I could catch or not and I thought that was really odd it's like if you know that I can't catch balls in practice why would you start me so I can run and get open to what drop the ball you knew I couldn't catch in practice why would you start me I that one blew me away because I knew the writing as soon as they said I was going to start that game I knew they were looking just to get rid of me, but why Why put me in a game to get rid of me? Just get rid of me. You know what I'm saying? Why put me in a game to – because we lost that game against Arizona. Okay, not by much, but I dropped four balls before they took me out, and the fans cheered when they took me out, okay? They were booing when I was dropping passes, okay? That's embarrassing, guys. I'm dropping passes, and they're booing, 
And then when they take me out there cheering, I would have done the same thing. But the fans didn't know I was injured, but the coaches knew. And I put that on Detroit coaching staff, yeah. you know. Um, I, I just found that to be really weird. Uh, and, and and that was a tough one for me to, to deal with after playing six years for him, you know. Um, you know, I just thought, uh, you know, why would you why would you make the team suffer for if you want to let me go, let me go. Uh, but then I was really uh, uh, lucky and fortunate to be able to be picked up by the Seattle Seahawks. Um, but having said that, uh, it was uh, most unfortunate because I would have loved to play with Barry Sanders. And I think if I didn't break my thumb the week before the first game, I probably um, would have been around, you know, to, you know, uh, maybe have been able to prove myself to stick around long enough to, to, to play in that offense. But didn't happen. Brian, I'll give you one more and then I'll finish it out. Since it's your guest, I'll give you two questions. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Um, so Jeff, your your only postseason game was a hard fought one against Joe Montana's Niners. Uh, what do you remember about that game and, and what is the intensity of an NFL football game like? Uh it was uh Really exciting being a rookie to to make it to the playoffs and be a part of it, you know, not just being on the team, but actually being out there and, and making plays. Um, well, yeah, that was a tough one because my roommate, Eddie Murray, missed the, the chip shot wide to the right. And we felt so bad for him, you know, because he, you know, we called him Steady Eddie for a reason. And, and it was just one of those, you know, unfortunate things. We could have won that game, even though, uh, you know, we had uh, a lot of turnovers that game. Uh, our quarterback, uh, Gary Danielson, had like five picks. Yeah. Okay. And rarely are you going to even have three picks and, and be even in a ball game, let alone five. But we were in that ball game on the road against a very, very good 49er team. Uh, they had a lot of talent, man. We fought. We had a, we had a great team that year, 1983. Uh, we really fell, I think, uh, with Billy Sims running the ball and uh, Gary Danielson at quarterback and, and the receiving. And just we, we meshed together at the right time of the year. And I think if we'd have won that game, we could have moved on and, and done uh, greater things for, for the Lions. But uh, unfortunately, you know, that didn't happen. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to describe. Just the You're so focused on what you're doing that, you know, the fans don't even really exist. It's really not about all the, you know, aura of the stadium and, and the playoffs and all that. I think as a player, you just get ultra, ultra focused on what your responsibilities are. You, in your head, you're going through all different scenarios, you know, situations that could occur. You know, you, you got to be really, really sharp. Not that you're not doing that during the regular season. It's just that you've already gone through the entire season. You know, this is why you play those games is to make it to the playoffs. And when you get there, you want to make sure you do not make a mistake, that you're, 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 everything is so heightened in your mind as far as now just reacting. Just react. Everything is reaction now. You've done all your training. You know, you're, you're the professional that you always try to work on. You're that person, that game. So, you, you know, no mistakes, um, no time for mistakes. 
uh, yeah, mistakes are going to happen, but you, you try as, as an individual player out there on the field, you're doing this for not so much yourself, you're doing it for your team, right? You don't want to let your teammates down. So, you know, you want to be make sure that, you know, if you're in, you're ready to go in, you know? You're prepared at all times to fire on all cylinders. So, yeah, it's exciting to be playing in those playoff games. Unfortunately for many of us, uh, many of us who have played the game, it's really hard to make it to the playoffs. Right. So uh, tell us about the Platelet, Platelet Disorder Association fundraisers that you do. Um, yeah, that's a, a, a friend of ours uh, that we met, uh, Marcy Mayhew. Um, and, um, you know, she's, she's got a condition that uh, with, with her platelets and, uh, and her blood and, uh, you know, it, it affects so many things and there's no cure for it. So it's just basically uh, to build, you know, awareness um, so that there's money to be raised to maybe bring awareness that it's, uh, yeah, although it is really rare, it's out there. And uh, just because it's rare and not a lot of people have it, that it shouldn't get some recognition. And uh, Is there you know, a website uh, for it? Uh, yeah, I, I, not sure what it is. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of other things. I'm not really sure what that, um, what their website is. I'm sure if you look up, you can find out what it is, but it's just a local chapter that we've, uh, helped out. You know, we do some other things with, uh, uh, soup, uh, kitchen. It's, uh, it's a, a project. So we just try to get involved with, you know, our community, um, over here in mid Michigan, Try to help out where we can, help out people that need food. Uh, you know, times are pretty tough, even though the government's given a lot of money out there. That eventually is going to end. And uh, there's p still people out there that are needy and need some help. So uh, there's a stone, a stone soup project that uh, Kristen and I are involved in um, and uh, that we support. And also we try to help out, you know, the local public schools here. Uh, trying to have a football camp if we could ever get over this COVID thing. Um, I did it a couple of years ago. Uh, we were going to have it uh, this year, but with all the uncertainties of, of still what's going on and things are looking better, but I'm not going to do a football camp where I got a bunch of kids running around in masks. I'm just not going to do that. Um, but uh, uh, we, we did have it uh, a couple of years ago and it went real well. Um, so, We'll be looking at doing that next year, getting the players up here to coach these kids up. And uh, it's all for, um, the, uh, you know, the, the, basically the, the funds that we have uh, after all the expenses goes to the public schools. Well, thank you to Jeff Chadwick for joining us tonight. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you for everyone who was watching, uh, whether it was on YouTube or listening on iHeart or Spotify, uh, Facebook. We're a little bit of everywhere, but we'll see you next time. Everyone have a great night.